Amen. If you have your Bibles and like to turn with me, stand and turn with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. Amen. I, I feel like I knew that there would be a smaller crowd today. I understood that things would be uh, 2 o'clock service. Uh, it seems like often 2 o'clock service we're fighting nap time. Amen. But I felt like God gave me a word yesterday afternoon and, and confirmed that again this morning. And I believe that in the next few moments, if you allow the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God's going to speak into your life. I, I understand that I have a, a diversity of people here from a diversity of backgrounds that are going through a diversity of situations and circumstances in your lives. But I believe this is a word for every single person in this house today, no matter where you are. No matter what you face. Luke chapter 2 and verse 9 says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want to preach for a few moments from this subject. When joy conquered fear. When joy conquered fear. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the presence of God that I feel so rich in this house right now. And I'm asking in the next few moments, Lord, you move me out of the way, God. Move me out, out from in between you and this people, Lord, and allow your spirit to minister, Lord. Allow the voice of God and the anointing of God to flow through this house, Lord. Touch us in the very deepest part of our hearts, Lord. Touch us where we live, Lord, and change us. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? You may be seated. Angels appeared on multiple occasions as heralds of the first Christmas. It was an angel that appeared to Mary, and it was an angel that appeared to Joseph. Even Zacharias, as he carried out his priestly duty, was confronted by an angel bearing a message about his own son that was to be born. In our text, we read of the shepherds on the hillside on that night when Jesus was born. And they too had an angelic visitation. The one thing that all of those angelic encounters have in common is the initial command of the angelic messenger. In every single case, the angel precedes their individual message with these words, Fear not. Fear not Even as we enter into the holiday season, after a wildly unpredictable election cycle, we live in a world that's caught in the grip of fear. Our news cycle is filled with stories of fear and anguish. We read all about those who are afraid. They're afraid that their values will be trampled underfoot. They're afraid that the president-elect will become a tyrant or a dictator or that family members will be deported or that racism is on the rise. And somehow they're afraid that this great bastion of liberty and justice for all will somehow turn into a Gestapo state on Inauguration Day. Regardless of your political views, you have to recognize that fear 
is running rampant in our society. And it's not just fear of the political fallout of the election. It's fear of those that watch the financial markets because they're constantly forecasting gloom and, and doom and despair. Our, our economy is sputtering. Businesses are closing. People are losing jobs. Whole factories are shutting down. Our country is deeply divided along racial lines, perhaps more divided today than it has been at any time in the last 50 years. Fear is the primary motivator that compels folks to irrational actions that add to the national unrest. The American dream, the vision of prosperity and hope, has been overtaken by a collective societal unrest that is fueled by fear. Though it's so often been quoted that it's become a cliche, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who spoke these words to a nation at the depth of the Great Depression. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. President Roosevelt recognized the debilitating effects of fear. Fear can grip us and choke all faith out of our hearts. Fear drives economic depression. Fear causes companies to contract. Fear top stops people from buying. It, run, it causes runs on the bank. It, it causes panic on Wall Street. And FDR reminded the nation that fear itself was the greatest enemy that we face. His words ring true today. But then that's always been the case. You see, times have changed. The issues have changed. This landscape, the political landscape of the world has changed. But fear, fear hasn't changed. It was as present at that first Christmas as it is today. When Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem on that first Christmas Eve, they journeyed through a world that was caught in the grip of fear. Times were desperate. The whole reason why Joseph and his pregnant wife journey to Bethlehem is because a census was being conducted to enforce an even higher tax rate than the already sky-high taxes that they were paying. A, a murderous, paranoid man named Herod the Great was the king in Jerusalem. And Herod was a profoundly evil man who lived in constant fear that he would lose his grasp on power and driven by that fear he maintained his power through murder and mayhem Herod killed his own wife because he thought she threatened his throne he killed his mother-in-law because he thought she was undermining his authority he killed three of his own sons because he thought they may try to rise up and take his place it was so bad that the Roman Emperor Augustus famously said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be his son. To put Herod in perspective, when Herod fell ill and it became obvious that he was going to die, he ordered some of Jerusalem's most distinguished citizens to be arrested on trumped up charges and sentenced them to death. Their execution, he ordered, was to take place the moment he died. Because Herod knew that no one would mourn his passing. 
No one would be sad on the day he died, but he wanted to make sure that the people of Jerusalem wept the day he died. That's the world that Mary and Joseph lived in. Even on that night of nights, Joseph was afraid that he'd find no safe place for his pregnant wife to rest. And no doubt, Mary was afraid when all that was available to them on that cold winter night was a cave that served as a stable somewhere outside of the inn. And there they huddled against the cold. He a poverty-stricken carpenter. She a lonely teenage mother. And together they were caught in the grip of a much larger story as God brought his eternal plan to pass. As God worked in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of the world that was wrecked by sin and began to cause the miraculous to occur. On the windswept hillside outside of town, a group of shepherds were also huddled together against the cold. And their part in this story is really incredible. You see, shepherds were the outcast of society. There was nothing honorable, nothing prestigious about the job of being a shepherd. They were uneducated. They were unskilled. They were the lowest paid blue-collar labor that you could find in Bethlehem. And beyond that fact, they weren't even religious people. They couldn't be religious people because not, it's not because they didn't love God, but it's because the necessity of caring for the sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week, kept them from the temple. It kept them from the ritual cleansing and purification. It kept them from maintaining the Sabbath like it was supposed to be maintained because they lived in the fields with their sheep. But it was to shepherds, the religious outcasts, those on the fringes of society, the lowest of the low, that angels appeared on that glorious night. Can you imagine the fear that gripped their hearts as the heavens turned to fire? As an angelic host materialized over the hills of Bethlehem. No doubt in that singular moment when the splendor and glory of a heavenly host was revealed before their very eyes. No doubt they were frozen in fear. Unable to move, unable to run for their lives, unable even to speak or to scream. But fear lasted only a moment as the promise of that hour chased it away. Fear not, the angel said. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior was born, and fear was conquered by joy. Fear is a strange and powerful force. It makes us act irrationally. I'll never forget the story of the time my dad went frog gigging with a friend and they were floating down the ditch in a little john boat and the, and the water was absolutely filled with snakes and they brushed up against a limb and one of those big snakes fell off in the boat and the friend grabbed out his little pistol and started blowing holes in the bottom of the boat fear will make you do stupid stuff 
and it'll make you act irrationally. I remember the story of the man who who was so afraid of spiders that when he saw one in his laundry room, he grabbed a lighter and a can of spray paint. Only a man does that. Amen. And he began to try to torch that spider and he proceeded to ignite an inferno that quickly got out of hand and burned his entire house to the ground. All for the fear of a spider. Fear has a way of overwhelming our minds. It has a way of shutting off all logic and reason. It drowns out all hope and optimism. It freezes us in a moment and drowns out any potential of a good outcome. Have you ever wondered where fear came from? How did fear become a part of the human condition? You may think for a moment that fear has no origin, that it's always been a part of the human experience, but that's not true. Fear has a definite origin in the story of humanity. Fear first entered the psyche of humanity in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world. The story unfolds in the third chapter of Genesis when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. The Bible said their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked, so they made for themselves a covering. And just as they were finishing that task, the Bible said they heard the voice of God calling to them as he walked through the garden in the cool of the day. This was their daily routine. This is what they did every day. Every day they met their maker. Every day they enjoyed the wonderful fellowship of his presence. Every day they walked with him in the cool of the day in the heart of the garden. But this day was different. At the sound of his voice, their yearning for fellowship was suddenly overwhelmed by fear. And for the first time ever, Adam and Eve were afraid. And it was fear that compelled them to attempt to hide from God. It was fear that caused them to tremble in the shadows of the garden. Fear was unleashed in our world on that fateful day. And I come to tell you, it's been stalking humanity ever since. It was fear that compelled Abraham to lie to Pharaoh and say that Sarah was a sister rather than his wife. The father of the faithful, the scripture calls him. The one who trusted God enough to leave Earth, the Chaldees and journey to a distant land on nothing more than a promise that his seed would inherit that land. He whose faith in God is heralded throughout the New Testament found himself in a place where his fear was greater than his faith. And it was fear that caused him to forget the provision of God. It was fear that compelled him to attempt to save himself. It was fear that gripped the heart of Jacob when he heard that his brother Esau with a mighty army was marching out to meet him. Fear caused him to split his household in two and send them home by different routes so that if Esau attacked one, the other might escape. That fear is what compelled him to wait alone by the edge of a brook at a place called Peniel and cry out to God from the depths of his despair. And on that faithful night when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, it was fear of what would happen on the morrow that motivated him to cling to his opponent with everything that he had. 
It was fear of fury, the fear of what Pharaoh would do. They caused Moses to stand and argue with the Almighty God before the spectacle of a burning bush that was not consumed. Think about it. Here stands Moses in the presence of the great I Am, the one who was and is and is to come, the Ancient of Days. Yet it was fear that caused his faith to waver even in the presence of God. Make no mistake. When the Lord told Moses, take your rod and cast it to the ground, and God turned it into a snake, it was fear that God was conquering in the heart of Moses. I could go on and on today. Fear stalks humanity throughout the history of the world. It was fear that caused the children of Israel to turn away from the promised land and go back into the wilderness for another 40 years. They were so afraid of the giants, so afraid of the inhabitants of that land, that they forgot the power of the mighty God who delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. The message of the angels on that night of nights was not a message that was reserved for poor, lowly shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem. It was a message for the entire world. It was a message to all people everywhere, from every generation, from every nation, from every tongue and every kindred. Fear not. Fear's dreadful reign has come to an end. The solution to the sin problem was also the answer to fear. And fear was swallowed by joy on that night when Jesus was born. Think about it. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. He would ultimately conquer sin and death at the cross. But his earthly ministry was focused on turning the hearts and minds of people from fear to faith. Just one example will suffice. The storm was bigger than any they'd ever encountered. The waves were dangerously tall and the ship was terribly small. And in that moment when the storm overwhelmed their senses, it was fear that gripped the hearts of the disciples and caused them to shake the master awake. You have to stop and wonder, did they forget who they were traveling with? Did they forget what he could do? The obvious answer is no, they they hadn't forgotten what he could do. That's why they woke him up. They were afraid, and fear caused them to panic when faith would have compelled them to simply trust. After Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Once the storm had disappeared and the seas became calm as glass, Jesus turned to his disciples in Mark chapter 4 and verse 4 and said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have No faith. There they stand, fear and faith. They're opposite ends of the same spectrum. Over and over again throughout the ministry of Jesus, fear yielded to the power of faith. Jesus met fear and turned it into faith. I'm reminded of the story of the little boy who had a part in the Sunday school play. He had one line and it simply read, all he had to say, it was simple, it is I, be not afraid. 
But he worked very hard to memorize that line. He tried his best to get it down pat. But it was a timid little boy who stepped on the stage that night of the presentation and declared, it's me and I'm scared. If we were honest this afternoon, we'd all admit to feeling like that little boy felt. It's easy to talk about fear in other people and other places and other situations, but we all have our own fears. We do a good job of hiding them. We do a good job of putting them behind the facade of a smile. We aren't really comfortable enough with each other to really admit the things that scare us. But in the darkness of the night, when we lay our heads on our pillows, it's the fears and the uncertainties of life that meet us there. And there's so much to fear. There's so much going on during this time of year. The many, many fear that the money won't be enough to make the holidays special for the ones they love. They fear that they lack the resources to fund another Christmas. And the bills loom large and the bank account is ever small and the paychecks are too few and too far between. Christmas is supposed to be a season of joy and hope. But for so many, Christmas is shrouded in dark depression as fear haunts the shadows of the mind. For others, it's health concerns that dominate their thinking. They fear that their health or the health of a loved one will falter and fail. The anxiety of an uncertain future haunts them and fear of what tomorrow may bring captivates their minds. For some, it's the condition of their family that causes them to worry. If we're not careful, the cares and concerns of this life, the, the bills and the job and all the stuff that we're involved in uh, will cause strife and division in the family and drive a wedge to the very foundation of our lives. We fear that. I could go on and on. We all have our fears. We fear that our job won't last. We fear that the financial house of cards will come tumbling down. We fear that a loved one will betray us. That our worst fear, whatever that may be, will come to pass. What I want you to understand this afternoon is that fear is your constant enemy. It stalks you right where you live. It works its way into every faucet of your life and every, every area of your thought life. But that's not the way God wants us to live. If anybody ever had a reason to be afraid, it was Paul as he sat in prison waiting for the executioner to come and carry him to his death. Yet it was in the final hours of his life that he took his pen in hand and he wrote to Timothy, his son in the gospel, and made this powerful declaration in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us fear. Even while the executioner was sharpening his sword, Paul was making a declaration of faith. Uh, fear doesn't have to rule you. Fear doesn't have to control you. Fear doesn't have to be the end of the story. Listen to this preacher this afternoon. God has not called us to live in fear. Even when everything around us tells us that we have a legitimate reason to be afraid, Listen, the executioner was real. Death was really coming. The hour was fast approaching, uh, but Paul refused to give in to fear. Why? Because fear is the enemy of faith. 
It robs us of our confidence in the Lord. It causes us to forget the many blessings of God in our lives. Fear compels us to deny the provision of God and convinces us to think that it's our responsibility to save ourselves and nothing could be further from the truth. That's why the most important message that was ever delivered to the world began with these words, fear not. But it didn't end there. No, the, the same angels that denounced fear declared the remedy for fear. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Uh, what was this good news uh, that brings joy and wipes away fear? Uh, for unto you, the angel said. I've always loved that little phrase. Unto you, the angel declares to lowly shepherds. They that have no place in society. They that don't fit in. They are the lowest on the totem pole. The angels have good news for all of mankind, but they personalize it for the shepherds. Unto you a child is born. Unto you a Savior has come. Unto you, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, he has come. He didn't come to the religious elite. He didn't come to the kings and their palaces. He didn't come to the well-to-do in society. No, he came to the common shepherds, uh, the religious outcasts, those who quaked in fear at the sight of a heavenly host. That's the message that conquers fear. That's the message that overcomes doubt. Not only did Jesus come at Christmas time, but he came unto you and he came unto me. You see, fear tells me I'm not worthy. Fear tells me I can never change. Fear says that I'm stuck in the mistakes of my past, that I will always be what I have always been. But the joy of Christmas, the joy that conquers fear, is the hope-filled declaration that Jesus came for me and He came for you. He came to set us free from the grip of fear. He came to set us free from the grip of despair. And that night on the hills outside of Bethlehem is the night when joy first conquered fear. Those shepherds who just moments before were quaking in fear all of a sudden became the first evangelist ever to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Leaving their sheep and everything else behind, they raced into the city to declare, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior, Christ the Lord, he's born in Bethlehem. On that night of nights, joy conquered fear. And it's still true today. Joy still turns fear to flight. Joy instills confidence. It drives the shadows of doubt and fear from our minds. People have learned that. Because of that, they, they pursue joy in every way imaginable. Some seek some temporary reprieve from the fear and the doubt that grips their lives. The problem with the joy that men manufacture is that it's short-lived. The pleasure of sin lasts a season, but then it gives way to the terror of night. 
Joy can be found in good times, but unfortunately, good times always end, and life is waiting on the other side. Joy can be found in material possessions, money and treasures and toys and trinkets, but that joy is always short-lived. The joy of material things never lasts. It always fades away. So it is with the joy that's derived from position and pride and prestige. Those things also prove to be temporary fleeting visions of unfulfilling joy. Men and women all around us have given themselves completely to the pursuit of joy to overcome the fears of this life. But the pursuit of the joy in this world is a never-ending search that never really satisfies the soul and never really drives away the darkness. Jesus Christ is the only place where real joy can be found. Jesus Christ is the only answer for fear. He's the only answer for doubts and uncertainties. In Him, not in the pursuits of this life, not in the pleasures of a moment, not in all the things this world has to offer, but in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of Jesus uh, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory the kind of joy that conquers fear is the joy of knowing Jesus the kind of joy that overcomes doubts uh, and settles our worried hearts uh, is the joy that comes from knowing my life is in his hands he that watches over me he never sleeps and he never slumbers and nothing in this world takes him by surprise During an earthquake some years ago, the inhabitants of a small village were very much alarmed. All were afraid, except one old woman who had a smile on her face that stretched from ear to ear. Everyone else was terrified, but she was beaming with joy. And finally, someone asked her mother, why are you not afraid? And she said, because it feels my heart with joy to know that I serve a God who can shake the world. It fears my it fills my heart with joy to know my God. He's the master of the earthquake. You see, even church folks are not immune to fear. Sometimes it paralyzes us as we stand on the precipice of the will of God for our lives. It robs us of faith and confidence. It causes us to cling to the boat when God is calling us to step out into the storm and walk on the water. I have a simple message this afternoon for somebody under the sound of my voice. I believe for everyone under the sound of my voice. The same God who controls the storm. The same God who causes the earth to shake. He's the one who watches over you. I want to remind somebody today that the joy of knowing that Jesus holds us in his hands uh, is what conquers the fears and doubts uh, and uncertainties of this life. Uh, It's what conquers the fear of not knowing uh, what tomorrow is going to hold when I know that he holds my tomorrows. The joy of walking with him conquers the fear of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The joy of standing with Him conquers the fear of the storm that rages 
and the wild wind that blows. Stand with me this afternoon. I, I come to challenge somebody. I come to remind someone. Amen. It's, it's the fear that stalks your mind. It's the fear that's constantly there on the trail edge of your thinking. It's the doubts and the uncertainties that, that rob you of sleep at night, that, that cause you always to be unrestful and weary and worn and tired. But I come to tell somebody in this house this afternoon, there's peace in His presence. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. In the presence of the Lord, there's a joy that overcomes fear. There's a joy that conquers fear. There's a joy that comes from knowing that I am His and He is mine. I want to challenge you this afternoon to find a place in an altar and let the joy of the presence of God Wash away the doubts and fears of your life. I want to challenge somebody on the sound of my voice uh, to find a place in an altar and, and let he who holds the whole world in his hands, let him hold your tomorrows too. I know that I, I know that I know that I know that I am an inadequate messenger. I know that I know that I know that I have not fully delivered what I felt like God laid on my heart, but I know this. I know under the sound of my voice, there are people with fear, with doubt, with uncertainty. You don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. You don't know how you're going to make it through. There are things that you haven't told anybody about that plague your thinking and plague your mind that cause you constantly to be worn down with worry and doubt. And I come to tell somebody in this place, God doesn't want you to live that way. God didn't make you to live that way. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you that of a sound mind. Uh, amen. He's given you a spirit of joy, unspeakable and full of glory, the joy of knowing that he's in control of my life. You see, when I finally let go of my tomorrows and I turn them over to Jesus, I discover that I don't have anything else to be afraid of. When I finally surrender my future and put it in his hands, that's when I learn that I don't have anything else to worry about. Because no matter how it all works out, he's going to be the one who works it out. It's not up to me any longer. Somebody in the sound of my voice right now, you need to put some things in Jesus' hands. You need to surrender some things to him. You need to turn some things over to him. You, it's not your job to figure it out. It's not your job to work it out. God didn't make you to carry that burden. That's his and his alone. Would you surrender to him? There's joy that comes from knowing I am his and he is mine. Would you call out to him on a Sunday afternoon? Would you let the presence of God move in your heart and your life? Let joy, let faith replace fear as joy rises on the inside.